This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Megan Gilmore, welcome to Connecting Disability on AMI. I'm really, really excited about our show today. One of the challenges as a journalist is that I can't tell you all the details about super cool people I meet. And the person you're going to meet today is one of those super cool people. I met Shannon Rayom when I was reporting on the challenges that families with medically complex children had getting adequate home care during the pandemic. And as soon as I talked to her, I knew that I just really wanted to hear more about her story. She brings a really rare perspective to the conversation about parenting and disability because both her son and her have the same disability congenital central hypoventilation syndrome. I'll let her explain more about that in the interview. Shannon is also a registered social worker and a family advisor on multiple committees and working groups for McMaster Children's Hospital in Hamilton, Ontario, Critical Care Services Ontario, and the Provincial Council of Maternal and Child Health. She's also a PhD candidate at the School of Public Health Sciences at the University of Waterloo, where she is a researcher at the ARCH Lab, which stands for Advancing Research in Children's Health. And on top of that, she was a recipient of the 2021 Holly Bartlett Memorial Award from the National Educational Association of Students with Disabilities. Shannon is passionate about helping children and families live healthy lives with disabilities. She lives with her husband and two children in Alora, Ontario, And she stopped by to tell me about how having a disability influenced her decision to become a mother and how it's also impacted her relationship with her parents and helped her have more compassion for her family and for the experience of raising a child with a disability. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Shannon Rayom. Shannon, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, Megan. I'm really excited for our listeners to get to meet you, get to know you and your family a bit. And we're talking on a weekday morning in early fall, and you are the mother of two young children. So I was just wondering if you can set the stage for our listeners right now. Like, What is a typical day in the life of mothers of young children in a pandemic fall 2021? What does your life look like right now? It's pretty chaotic right now with a seven-week-old and a five-year-old just shuffling the older one to school every day and then being up through the night with their baby and making sure they're all safe and happy and keeping them fed as well. And on top of this, you are a PhD candidate at the University of Waterloo. So what are your research interests and how are they connected at all to your family life? Yeah, that's a good question. So I study child multimorbidity and what that is, is it's the co-occurrence of chronic physical illness and mental illness in children. Um, And that's something that I'm really passionate about because oftentimes when we talk about medical illness in children, we tend to focus on the physical component and sometimes neglect the mental well-being of children and their families. And 
those two go hand in hand. So that's what my dissertation is looking at is the mental well-being of children living with chronic physical illnesses and what their protective factors might be in order to support their well-being as well as their families. How exactly did you get interested in this topic? Why is it something that's so important for you? It's really come from my personal life as well as some of my professional experiences. So as a disabled individual, I was born with a breathing syndrome called congenital central hypoventilation syndrome. And what that is, is you stop breathing every time you sleep. So you can imagine an individual with this syndrome would have a lot of medical experiences. I've been in the healthcare system my whole life. And I was just passionate about studying and looking at the mental health and the psychological effects of living with disability from an early age and the different life stages that you go through and that you have to navigate as a disabled individual as well. Growing up, did you picture yourself becoming a mom? Did you think about how having a disability would impact motherhood? Like, what was your thought process about that But before you had kids? Oh, that's such a good question. And I think that there's multiple influences that affected my decision to become a mom. I think early on, I didn't even know if I was going to survive to adulthood to become a mother. But once I reached my 20s, it was clear that I dreamed of motherhood. I wanted to become a mom. It was something I always wanted to be. I had the same dream as many other individuals do. I just didn't know how I was going to get there and what that would look like. How did you process those questions of how you would get to motherhood as a woman with a disability? Like, Were there people you could talk to about that? Or was it just something that was mainly an, an internal dialogue? Yeah, that was something I struggled with for a few years. I had a really good counselor that helped me navigate, one, just the stigma of being disabled and thinking about motherhood. And once I got over the initial feeling of, oh, maybe disabled people can become parents and what does that look like and that there's no perfect picture of being a parent, that's when I could internalize and sort of problem solve as well about how can I make this happen. It was a long conversation with my husband about how are we going to do this and what supports do we need in place in order to be good parents and to bring a child into our family. When, when you were pregnant with your oldest and when you were getting ready uh, f- for the birth, what did you think the supports would be that you would need to be a mother and to do this well? We found out that our oldest would have the same disability as me when I was five months pregnant. And we knew right away that we had to connect with other families with the same disability so that we could prepare of what does the technology look like now to support a young child living with this condition. And we wanted to know what is the hospital experience going to be like. So thankfully with social media, we were able to be in touch with quite a few families, thankfully, which is 
really rare because only 1,200 people in the world have congenital central hypoventilation syndrome, with myself being um, one of the oldest ones ever with it. So I was able to connect with um, newer families that were navigating the diagnosis and support systems just to see one, how has our healthcare system in Ontario changed and what supports are available? And then also just the emotional aspect. So what can we mentally prepare for? What are the values we want to install in our child? And what physical supports can we lean on to in terms of our families helping us, in terms of more formal supports as well? Does it feel different being the parent than it does being the child with a disability? I think so. Um, Just reflecting on the parent aspect, I think there's a lot of isolation that goes along with that. And there's isolation for the child as well, being a child with a disability. But as a child, your parents kind of protect you and give you a warm environment to grow up in. And I don't think our son is at the age where um, he knows he has a disability. He knows what he needs to do to keep safe. But I think his experience, thankfully right now, has been a positive one with a disability. Um, Whereas a parenting experience with a disability, um, it comes with a lot of highs and lows. Mm -hmm. And you want to internalize that and process that so that you don't put any trauma experiences that you have had as a parent onto your child and making sure that you process that trauma so that your child can live and be a happy kid and hopefully not be negatively affected by the trauma or some of the hard things that we have had to do as parents. What's it like for you watching your child grow up with the same disability that you have? Like, how does that impact the way you think about his future or how you're planning to teach him about self-advocacy and just what it means to live with a disability? Like, what's it like, in a sense, like watching your childhood with your child? Oh, man. So our son, he is hilarious. He has a great sense of humor. And I just wish that looking back on my own childhood, he's able to make everything fun. Even in the hospital, he's able to make things fun. And that's something that I envy from him because I wish I had that experience sometimes when I was a child. And he's always able to get a laugh out of something or to keep health professionals on their toes and even make them laugh. And he just lights up the room. So um, his ability just to bounce back and just take everything in stride just strikes me. Um, and that just, it incur- it makes my husband and I be able to focus on that and focus on the good as well, just from his personality being like that. Um, and then as a parent with a disability and looking back on my own childhood, we're just really cautious of instilling self-advocacy skills in him really early on. 
So we want him to be involved in most conversations that are about him. You mentioned his sense of humor and how he likes to keep healthcare workers on their toes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any stories about that that you, you'd like to share? Oh, boy. Okay, so this past August, he was in hospital, both at McMaster as well as Sick Kids. And um, it was a huge milestone for him where his tracheostomy was coming out for the first time. And um, you could always identify him as an individual with a disability. And now with this trach being out, he has an invisible disability during the daytime. And when we were preparing him for surgery, um, going into McMaster, he said, Mommy, I need to say goodbye to my trach. So I, and as his mom and dad, we weren't anticipating that. We, as parents, were like, oh my God, goodness, finally, we've been doing this for five and a half years. The moment is here. Good riddance. Let's just get rid of this thing. But then our son made us pause and just think about, wow, this has been part of his life for a long time. Like, he may have conflicting feelings about this. And he said, mommy, I'm going to say goodbye to my trach. And he just chucked it across the room and said that it was time for it to go, but he'll keep it in a safe spot on his shelf in his room. So that was just fun funny but also heartwarming at the same time yeah wow so does it have a spot in his room yeah it's actually sitting right beside a photo that he has of his footprints from when he was born so um it's sitting on a shelf and then he also has a teddy bear that has a trach on it as well and he often still talks to the teddy bear and tells the teddy bear that one day maybe his trach will come out so it's interesting to see how he is coping with it and really processing it as well. So I, um, I'm legally blind. I did not get my cane until I was 15. And if my parents are listening, they will remember this vividly because I protested the whole process. of I did not want any mm. visible indication of my disability beyond glasses and other technology I'd had. So I feel like my parents would have had an easier time parenting their teenage daughter through this if your son had been around to be like, no, like, it's okay. You can have something with you. Um, this this will be fine. Has this experience of being a parent for the past five and a half years, has that changed the way that you reflect on what it was like for your parents when you were a child? Yeah, I think so. I think um, my parents and I have had a few conversations just about how the hospital system has changed, how technology has improved, how the home care system has unfortunately not been as great as what it was in the 90s. Um, so we've talked about all policy-related changes and healthcare system changes, but we've also discussed um, the traumas that we've been through. And after witnessing our, our, our own son um, literally cold and be at high risk of really adverse medical events, it just made me have more compassion for my parents and what they went through 
and also being more forgiving as well because I know as a teenager kind of like what you just said um, you don't want to be a visible disabled individual you don't want people to be able to pick you out for being different and you just want to sometimes hide and just blend in right but then as a parent parenting a child with a disability you want all their uniqueness to shine and to support that and I think now going through this experience with my son has just made me forgive some of the things that my parents may have had to do to advocate for for me um, to be included in different healthcare systems and the education system and it's been an interesting journey to see some of the similarities and differences between parenting a child in the 90s and early 2000s with this disability versus now. What about supports for parents? I know sometimes when I'm meeting um, families who either have a premature child, so my disability is a result of premature birth, or parents or have children with other visual impairments, you know, I get asked a lot, did your parents go to a support group? And I'm like, well, no, because that wasn't a thing and they probably wouldn't have gone anyways, yeah. <laughs> even if it was. Are there more resources for you as a mother than there would have been for your parents when they were raising you? Yeah, that's a big difference. So back in the um, 90s, my mom and another mom from New York, they were able to connect and they would write letters to one another. And the newsletter for the CCHS network was paper copy. And if you wanted to connect with another family with CCHS, it could take months and sometimes years to even learn that maybe another kid across the country has the same diagnosis, but they just don't know that that person exists yet. Whereas now with social media, um, I've been able to connect with parents all over the world that I know emotionally understand what it is like to parent a child with this syndrome. And I'm also able to connect with five other parents that have had this syndrome as a child as well that are now mothers too. So we're able to discuss what it's like as a disabled individual and as a disabled parent as well, which has been really, really helpful in terms of navigating some of the nighttime challenges we have, as well as to emotionally support one another too. For those of us who are maybe, you know, like going further into adulthood and setting up our lives and we were children living at home with disabilities as we think about our parents and um, our childhoods or even just relating to our parents now, what are some of the things you think we should know about what it's like to parent a child with a disability? Talk about having compassion for your parents. How do you practically do that? What would your advice be for others about how to have more compassion for your parents? Just being able to sit with uncomfortable feelings and be able to take multiple perspectives of a situation or a scenario and knowing that each person's feelings are valid based on their perspective and their experience. And a big part of that for me was 
if my feeling was negative or made me feel really isolated, that's okay. But knowing that my parents had different feelings and they were coming at maybe some scenarios from a place of pure physical survival for their child, being able to understand that now as a parent and just being able to reflect on that in hindsight and say, okay, they literally did what they needed to do um, and just to practice forgiveness with some situations. That's how you can have compassion. And then what's your advice for disabled people as they consider parenting? So I would just encourage them to just write down their biggest fears of becoming a parent and making sure that they have someone to talk to about those fears and navigating through them and finding people that they can really connect with to address those questions. And the second part would be make sure you have all your information. So individuals living with disabilities and are thinking about becoming parents, what do you need to do to safely do become pregnant and go through labor and delivery and make sure you know what all your options are for starting a family. And if you consider adoption or IVF, become informed about those options as well. You've talked about thinking about like your own childhood experiences when you're becoming a parent. And we've talked about being more compassionate to our own parents as we reflect on some of the things about our childhoods that would have been difficult for them. Now that you're a parent, uh, and I don't want you to completely embarrass your family here, but is there anything that you think looking back or like, oh, my parents did a really good job at like this specific part of parenting me with a disability. And I don't even know if they realize that this is a really good thing that they did. Like, is there anything that your parents did really well that you want to do with your son? Yeah, I think that there's so many examples to give, but I think the biggest one is just instilling in me that I'm allowed to dream. I'm allowed to work towards realizing my dream and that I don't need to hold back with anything. Um, Because again and again, and Megan, I'm sure you've had these experiences before as well, where you've probably had people in your medical world or even at school or teachers tell you you can't do something because of your disability. And this made you feel excluded, isolated, like being a disabled person is not meaningful or contributes to something. And my parents were so amazing at making sure that if I was told that or felt that to do the complete opposite of that Mm -hmm. and just do whatever I wanted and not to internalize that too much and just to work hard to realize my dreams, to work hard with whatever I wanted to do. And that practically speaking, yeah, there's obstacles as a disabled person in realizing your dreams, but they were really good at making sure that I knew how to problem solve and I knew how to break down the barriers to make my dreams happen. So those were what my parents did really well that I hope to give to my kid. And I think they also really navigated the system really well. So they were fierce advocators 
And if there was anything I ever needed, I know I just felt safe. Like mm-hmm. I had this feeling of, okay, if I'm in a medical emergency, I felt safe. And that was a really huge gift my parents gave me. They knew what I needed medically, but also how to advocate with medical professionals as well. Yeah, I think I know I definitely had these experiences. I'm sure you did, and I'm sure people listening to this did as well, where there would be this moment where you as the child are going to do something and you hear other adults who aren't in your family question, like sometimes out loud, wait, should you be doing this? And your parents are standing right there and they're like, no, like they can go right ahead. And I remember like as much as I can trying to look from like one adult to the other adult to read the facial expression. And then my parents were like, no, like just go ahead and like climb that hill over there. And well, (laughs) like you'll be fine. I'm like, okay. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Shannon, before we get to the final questions, is there anything else that you would want to say? I think parenting as a disabled parent with a child that has the same disability, there's been a lot of challenges, but also it's unique in the sense that you already know what the diagnosis is and you you can anticipate what the next transition or maybe what the next struggle will be, but also being mindful of my kid's going to have his own journey and how do I make sure that I'm supporting his journey and making sure that I don't bring some of my own biases or past experiences in to make sure that he feels safe and supported and he's able to be his own self as well is really important and something that I always have to remind myself as well of. So it's an awesome journey to be on It can be super challenging, but it's been an amazing journey. Shannon, I have two final questions that we like to ask every guest who comes on this program. Uh, So the first is, like, right now, what are the parts about living with disability that are actually, like, really isolating at this moment still? One of the major things that's isolating, oh, that's a good question. I think just in terms of COVID in general, as a medically fragile family, really, because our son is medically complex and so am I, just making sure we stay safe with COVID and having to navigate what are our family boundaries in terms of COVID practices for our own family, what are we safe with? Some of that is isolating as well. So that's one of the big things that I think a lot of other families are feeling as well. And just the hurdles from the medical care system of um, what they've been supportive with during COVID and what they haven't been supportive with during COVID and really realizing that there's still a lot of work to do in the disability field when it comes to pandemics and just making sure that disabled people are valued and that their lives are meaningful and making sure that that's reflected in society and policy and that maybe if those things are reflected in society and policy, being a disabled person wouldn't be so isolating at times. And then the second part of that question is, how are you able to connect with other people? And how would you like people to connect with you when you're feeling this isolation, especially during a pandemic? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a really good example of connection is 
When our son was in the hospital this past summer, we had messages from friends and families just texting and doing group chats, asking how he was, sending us video calls, and just making sure you check in because sometimes as parents, we don't have the energy to keep people updated. So just a simple email or a text or a short phone call asking like, hey, I'm here for you. I know there's nothing I can do for you right now, but we're thinking of you. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your story. I think it's going to be really fun watching your kids grow up. So thanks for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thanks so much, Megan. It's always great to connect with other disabled people and sharing our experiences. If you'd like more information about CCHS, we'll have links in the show notes. Connecting Disability is a production of AMI-audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore, with technical production by Nizreen Abdel-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Special thanks today to Shannon Rayom and her children, her husband, for letting us hear about their family, and to Sherry Caldwell, who was the first person to introduce me to Shannon. Shannon's son and I have a couple things in common. One is a love of teddy bears. So thank you to my brother and sister who got me my first favorite teddy bear. But we also spent the first few months of our lives in neonatal intensive care units in Ontario. And I just wanted to send out a thank you to all the nurses and doctors who are working in those units I know it's a, it can be a tough job at the best of times. It's been even stranger the past couple years, and you may not always get to see the kids grow up, but I uh, just wanted to say thank you. And uh, to the families who are going through that situation, your children will never outgrow their resilience, and it's actually going to be a good thing. Thanks so much for listening. We'll connect next time. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.